every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning. We've reached the end of the week, Friday the 19th of January. This is Peter Lewis and a warm welcome to Money Talk. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic expects policymakers to start cutting rates in the third quarter of this year, saying Thursday that inflation is well on its way back to the central bank's goal. Mr Bostic, who's a voting member this year on the rate-setting FOMC, said, I've incorporated the unexpected progress on inflation and economic activity into my outlook and thus moved up my projected time to begin normalising the Fed's fund rates to the third quarter of this year from the fourth quarter that he was previously projecting. US jobless, jobless claims, which are a proxy for layoffs, hit their lowest level in 16 months last week, a sign of labour market resilience that further dense prospects of the Federal Reserve cutting interest rates. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits fell by 16,000 to 187,000 in the week ending January the 18th. That's the least since September 2022 and well below economists' expectations. Hong Kong's seasonally adjusted unemployment rate stood at 2.9% in the three months ending December 2023, remaining unchanged for the third consecutive month. The number of unemployed persons dropped by 6,700 from a month earlier to a near five-year low, while employment fell 1,900 to 3.707 million. Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company reported stronger-than-expected profits in its fourth-quarter results on Thursday. TSMC reported fourth-quarter revenues slipped 1.5% from a year ago to US$19.8 billion. Net income dropped 19.3% from a year ago to US$7.6 billion, but beat analyst forecasts. CEO CCY said the firm was well-positioned to capture growth opportunities from the rising emergence of generative AI applications in 2024. Revenue for 2024 should increase in the low to mid-20% range, driven by demand for AI. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of GEO Securities, and Lashar, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA. With a view from Australia is Toby Lawson, CEO of Staten Partners. And please take a look at my daily newsletter with more business and finance stories from around Asia. You can find it at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks rose Thursday as investors balanced strong economic data against hopes of sharp interest rate cuts later this year. The S&P 500 climbed 0.9% to 4,781. The Dow shook off a three-day slump, adding 202 points, or half a percent, to 37,469, rebounding from a 144-point loss earlier in the trading session. The tech-heavy Nasdaq was the outperformer, jumping 1.4% to 15,056. The Nasdaq 100 rose 1.5% to a new all-time high. Tech stocks were the biggest winners after a robust outlook from Taiwan's TSMC, the world's biggest contract chipmaker. US-listed TSMC shares soared by almost 10%. Semiconductor companies such as Intel rose 1.6% and NVIDIA gained 1.9% to a new record high. Apple was up 3.3% after Bank of America upgraded the stock to a buy rating, projecting more than 20% upside over the next 12 months. The yield on the 10-year US Treasury notes rose four basis points to 4.14%, its highest in over a month, as fresh jobs data indicated ongoing tightness in the labour markets and reduced the likelihood of immediate interest rate cuts by the Fed. 
the US dollar index traded around 103.5 on Thursday, staying close to its strongest level in a month. The Japanese yen was unchanged around 148 per dollar at its lowest level in seven weeks. The Chinese yuan was unchanged in Shanghai at 7.1961 renminbi. Gold rose 0.8% to $2,024 an ounce on Thursday after coming close to testing $2,000 earlier in the day. Brent crude oil settled 1.6% higher at $79.10 a barrel amid increasing tensions in the Middle East. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index dropped 0.6% in early trading to hit the lowest level since October 2022 before rebounding. It ended the day 115 points higher or 0.8% at 15,392. The CISIS benchmark index is down 9.7% since the start of 2024 and has lost more than half its value since its most recent peak in February 2021. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index of mainland companies listed in Hong Kong reversed an earlier decline of 0.6%, closing 0.8% higher. Its decline so far, though, in 2024 amount to 10.3%, and that makes it the worst-performing major benchmark globally this year. On the mainland, the CSI 300 rebounded from losses earlier in the session of 1.8%, which took it to a new five-year low. It ended the day 1.4% higher. A jump in turnover in some major exchange-traded funds raised speculation that buying by state funds was behind the reversal. This morning, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 50 points higher at 15,440. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Unfortunately, we're having technical problems, which means we can't get hold of Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. But with us this morning is Lashar, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA. Morning, Shark. Morning, Peter. As you heard there from the uh, the rundown, the Hong Kong market really um, has continued the downturn from the end of last year. If, if anything, it seems to have got worse, um, Shark, particularly after the release of the economic data from the mainland on Wednesday and also after Premier Li Chang's comments um, in Davos. What, what's behind this um, increasingly uh, severe sell-off? Uh, I think I'm not, not the expert of the market, uh, unfortunately, Francis is not here yet. Uh, maybe he can comment uh, uh, more insightfully. But from my perspective, I think this uh, economic data is one trigger. Another one may be related to uh, the possibility that uh, uh, President Trump could come, the former President Trump could come back to White House again. So because he won this primary in, yeah, <clears throat> in the state. So all this... Uh, uh, I think uh, geopolitics side and uh, on economic fundamentals, the, the, the investors, they are not satisfied with uh, uh, the current situation in China. So they be, initially, they hope that China, they will have a, a more stimulus. Mm. But now, after meet this uh, 5% target last year, it seems the uh, Chinese authorities, uh, they, they are quite satisfied with what they have now. <laughs> okay, mm. then the the investor, they become panic. They think uh, the 5% is still very low one. Think about this uh, low base of uh, 2022, right? They only manage growth by f- 3%. And uh, 2023, you have this uh, 5.2% GDP growth. It's uh, not that good, but uh, looks like authorities, they are satisfied with this one. And then uh, I think many investors, uh, they start to question 
wider uh, the authority, they still put this uh, priority on economic growth. Mm. If they don't, maybe then the China story will be another story. Okay, so I think that's why uh, people get worried. Uh, uh, another reason, as I said, this uh, geopolitics side. If you lo- look around the world, uh, I think this uh, anti-China sentiment is still there. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> uh, President Trump he got more support from uh, United States people. Uh, I think maybe the people start to feel that one. Uh, then he also announced very radical trade policies against China. Of course, not only for China. He basically he, he announced this uh, uh, po- uh, trade policy against everyone. <laughs> so mm. no wonder this uh, uh, Song index they get hurt most. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that means uh, uh, the the sentiment, the the geopolitic race, and even uh, the policy. Uh, I mean the Chinese domestic policy. Uh, they don't have good news. And hmm. the investors, uh, they are losing uh, their confidence. They're losing their confidence, yeah. yeah. Now, look, I think we have been joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. What is it that's spooking investors that's uh, taking this market down? I, I think that the problem is uh, since uh, 2022, uh, after the lifting of the COVID uh, lockdown, lockdowns, people expected a very swift recovery. Mm. But then, People were disappointed. It was a really mutant recovery, and the economy did not grow by like a 10 or 15 percent. Instead, last year we grew by about uh, 5.2 percent, slightly lower than expected. Uh, in particular, I think it is the in the fourth quarter, the economic growth actually slowed a little bit. And uh, uh, the most important part is really uh, the consumption because uh, uh, external demand depends on overseas markets, but uh, internal consumption is the one that really failed to pick up uh, because of high unemployment and uh, people don't, don't want to spend even though uh, Chinese residents have something like two, Two hundred trillion yuan in deposits, in bank deposits, but nobody wants to spend it. And previously, they used the money to buy flats. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, ever since the uh, uh, property bubble uh, burst, and nobody's buying any flats, so there is a lack of consumption. So, which means the economy did not pick up as expected. So people are still pessimistic about the future uh, of the Chinese economy. We, we did see yesterday in the markets quite a sharp turnaround, didn't we? The, the Hang Seng was down, the, the CSI 300 was down, and then it turned around. The rumor seems to be this is the, the national team, state-owned funds uh, <laughs> stepping into the market, buying ETFs in particular. Have you seen any signs of that? Is that what's going on at the moment? Mainland funds trying to stabilize the market? Well, if it's the national team, then we should have a much bigger rebound instead mm. of like a 100 points. I think it's really, a, the support is really meager. I think, uh, uh, I, I, I think uh, Premier Lee Chan was uh, uh, afraid to do something drastic to something uh, he's afraid not, 
not to do something to rock the boat. So, so what we have is really piecemeal improvement, like like in the property sector. What we need is really uh, the government spending a lot of money to to buy out all all the, all these uh, 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 bankrupt developers. But but no, uh, they don't want to do that. Mm. But so 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 which means. Uh, uh, we are we've been disappointed for the past year in, in the in the economic performance of China. Are you seeing any signs of a final capitulation in the markets that investors are just throwing in the towel, which could signal maybe a bottom and it's maybe you know an opportunity to step in and buy the markets? Do you think so, or is it too early to do that? I don't think so because. Uh, 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 it, uh, like what uh, uh, the uh, CEO of Hong Kong Xing just said, the Hong Kong uh, market which already reached surrender value because it's so cheap now, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, uh, I think uh, I know the the young people already abandoned the uh, Hong Kong market. I think for the for young people. Most of them are buying the U.S. market now because mm. you can buy one share uh, instead of a lot of shares. So, 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 which which means uh, uh, it's only we are left with the uh, old investors, uh, people like my age, who refuse to surrender <laughs> and who 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 does not really look at the overseas markets. So, uh, it's it's really. A, a world of two uh, two sets of investors. Okay, Shark. What about the economic data? Um, GDP expanded five point two percent year on year in the fourth quarter. Um, that was an improvement on the third quarter, where we saw four point nine percent year on year growth. Also grew five point two percent for the whole of uh, twenty twenty three, according to the statistics. Anyway, did the economy really grow at five point two percent? Because there's a number of suggestions going on around there that maybe you know you've got to take into account the base effect also some of these investment figures uh, um, seem to be um, a, a little bit inflated is it really 5.2 percent how do you see it um i i don't want to challenge the statistics bureau's work or because uh, they said this is a 5.2 percent mm-hmm. growth uh, but i do know that many people uh think this one may be over-report the real situation in China. Uh, I think there is one reason is uh, the deflator, okay? Although this uh, real GDP figure is uh, 5.2%, but nominal figure is only 4.6%. That means the deflator is a negative 0.6, around mm. 0.6%. So that's why many people, they feel their work, uh, their life didn't improve like uh, 5% growth, <laughs> just maybe <laughs> yeah. 3% or 4%, I think, because uh, many people, when they measure their real living standard, improvement they will use this uh nominal one rather than the the real one so mm. that means uh, uh china they still suffer uh important uh, uh i think the the this growth they still suffer important shortcomings for example this uh, deflation okay so initially uh at the beginning of the year they have this uh uh low inflation but now by december this uh, cpi only 0.3% the ppi negative 6% so that means uh, uh if you you are 
then you may see your price or the price of your product is uh, decreasing, not increase. That will squeeze your margin. Uh, so that's why the firm sector, they don't feel this one very good. But uh, this one also pass through to the household sector. And uh, remember, household sector, they still suffer this uh, housing market problem. Mm. Uh, if you look at uh, the housing price, uh, they, they report nationally, they decrease maybe by 10%. But uh, if you go to different cities, you ask the people there, they will t- they will tell you that uh, uh, the, the price of a house have been decreased by 30%. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's and, uh, and also, the, the other thing that I suppose you have to look at is the investment statistics, isn't it? That, um, uh, you know, these get frequently revised um, downwards later on. And, and, you know, you get these big adjustments in, in investments. And, and, you know, we're seeing now... Now, one of the things that has boosted GDP is this enormous investment in infrastructure, in factories, in manufacturing. I find it odd, though, that China has suddenly found all these investment opportunities that it hadn't spotted before or the market hasn't spotted. Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, because uh, the, the way they measure this uh, fixed investment, uh, uh, they are, I, I don't think that they are very standard. So sometimes uh, you will see uh, this one, they, they change quite a lot from year to year, even from quarter to quarter. Mm. Uh, but if you look at uh, the different ca- uh, ca- category, uh, I, I do believe this uh, manufacturing sector investment is booming. If you look at uh, the uh, some emerging industry like uh, uh, these uh, EVs, they are booming. But of course, uh, they will suffer some overcapacity problem. And also this... Uh, uh, renewable energy uh, sectors. Uh, uh, I I do know many people they invest uh, in this uh, manufacturing sector. It's also related to the Chinese authorities' policies. Uh, even starting from uh, 2018, 2019, they intentionally uh, direct this investment to the manufacturing sector rather than uh, to this uh, housing sector. But that creates another new imbalance. So that means now, if you look at the manufacturing sector, I think the generally is booming in China. Although mm. uh, they suffer some overcapacity problem, but uh, uh, some new sector like EVs they are booming. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if you look at the service sector, if you look at this uh, high frequency data, uh, I th- for example, the domestic traveler, the tourist uh, industry in China, they haven't recovered their level of 2019. Mm. That means they still suffer the shock of the COVID. Mm. So there's a new imbalance. The manufacturing sector, they, they may be 20%, 30% higher than the pre-COVID level. But for this service sector, they haven't fully recovered yet. Mm. So that's a new imbalance. Francis, what, what are your thoughts on those GDP numbers? Does 5.2% seem right to you? Or do you think that maybe you know it's being distorted by things like the base effects, like these investment numbers, the deflator? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I think that's about right. But uh, I, I think, I think the, the one thing that the uh, uh, economic data really failed to disclose is really the unemployment situation. You have uh, people with doctorate degrees failing to find a job. Uh, and of course, for the young people, uh, the unemployment rate is something like uh, 16%. And uh, 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 that has to do with uh, the, uh, 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 the, the the big tax uh, inability to expand. 
is instead of uh, the big tax, uh, instead of hiring the thousands of people every year, they are laying off people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and the, another source of big employment is really those uh, 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 ed- education institutions. Uh, the, uh, the government cracked down on the uh, extra uh, 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 tutor school some activities like that. But according to some estimates, uh, as many as half of the graduating students actually went in uh, went into such uh, tutor schools to teach uh, 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 younger students. So, so I think uh, the government must do much more to create employment for young people. Uh, instead of saying just uh, you just have to suffer in bitterness, that is really not a solution. Uh, I think the government have the government must do, do more to alleviate the unemployment, especially among the young people in China. The the MBS did start uh, releasing the youth unemployment data again, didn't they? They said it was fourteen point nine percent. The problem is now they're excluding students that are still in school, so we can't really compare that with the previous <laughs> figure, which was twenty one over twenty one percent. It was a record high, but even at fifteen percent, it's still very high, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, a, a lot of social unrest can can generate from this high unemployment. I think the Arab Spring was really caused by unemployment. Mm. So, so the government ought to be very careful about this. Um, Shark, tell me about the uh, the population decline. China's population uh, fell by over two million uh, in 2023. It's now what 1.4097. Births declined by about nine million, um, but that was outstripped by 11 million deaths. What is the significance of this declining uh, population? Second year in a row now. I think this is not good signal because. Uh uh, one 2022, we have this uh, negative growth of the population. People tend to believe that last year they should have some kind of the rebound. And it seems that this kind of uh, drag continue into the last year. Hopefully, that's also affected by the legacy impact of this uh, COVID because, you know, to from to get pregnancy to, to give a birth, you need maybe almost a year. So then many people, they delay their family plan. Maybe, hopefully, uh, but uh, over the the big picture is uh, due to this uh, birth control uh, policy of the China. Now they abandoned this one, but they have been implemented the one uh, for quite a long time. Now the China they do have this uh, population structure, so that means uh, in future we cannot expect a big rebound if they don't change the policy uh, mm-hmm. of this uh, population. Uh, I think they have a very uh, important implications for Chinese economy. That means uh, this uh, uh, consumer goods, right? So uh, uh, if you have less baby, that means you will consume more in future. That have some negative impact on the relative industry. Uh, also, people worry about this uh, sustainability of the Chinese uh, pension system. So now they have this uh, pension system. They only cover this uh, uh, urban residents they have the cover this rural residents yet uh still they now they still have the uh, they, they still have a problem and mm-hmm. then in future if you have less baby if you have less workers in future to support this aging society that means uh, either you are going to have more tax on this uh, pension fund or 
you need to raise the age of this uh, retirement. So that means a big import, a big change for the society. Oh, so, but, but China, I think that they, they still have some room because now people relatively retire uh, in early stage. So average uh, retiring uh, age is around uh, 57, 56. So it's still young <laughs> compared to <laughs> European standard. Uh, but anyway, if they raise this uh, retirement age, that would be painful for, for the people that they believe they will retire like their fathers, their brothers. <laughs> Okay, so they need to work for a longer time. Mm. I, I think that have very important implications of the Chinese uh, 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 economy. So now the ball outside of authority, they must find a way to encourage people to have more baby. Mm -hmm. uh, I think so that Japan, they did some of the things, uh, some things, it, it proved to be effective. Uh, so China, they need to learn from other countries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Francis, uh, this year is normally a good year for births. Dragon, we get dragon births, don't we? A lot of people <laughs> like to um, have babies in the year of the dragon because it's supposed to be good luck. But um, at the same time, at the moment, um, th there isn't a lot of encouragement to have children on the on the mainland, is it? Because of the costs, because of the lack of um, sort of facilities, childcare facilities, yeah. and so on. Well, the, the, the pro this is the problem worldwide, except for uh, maybe Muslim countries, India and Africa. And uh, globally, uh, when, when the economic stand, uh, when the living standard uh, uh, goes to, uh, to a certain level, uh, the, the women especially uh, uh, does, do, do not want to be tied to the home and raising uh, children. So it's really the, 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 the status of the women that, that are causing the drop in fertility because like, uh, like in Hong Kong and uh, Japan or Korea or Taiwan, uh, uh, the uh, working age women want to have a career. Mm. They don't want to have babies. And, and secondly, uh, the uh, the cost of raising a kid is so high, and here in Hong Kong you have uh, kids going to uh, six something like uh, uh, extra classes outside school. So uh, uh, for uh, one kid, it will cost you more than thirty thousand dollars in extra school fee per month. So. This is a very high cost. I think, I think the same thing is catching up with, in China, that that they have to uh, uh, spend a lot of money raising a kid. Mm. Previously, we were, were poor, like uh, sixty years ago. People don't really care. So if we are poor, no problem. We just go to public school. So uh, uh, the, the women have been liberated, and they don't want to be tied to. Uh, the, the home and they don't want to have too many babies. They, they want to have a career. That is the problem. I don't think any kind of uh, incentive, like giving 20,000 uh, per baby can change that. I don't think the Hong Kong government's effort in raising the fertility rate will be successful. Even for Japan and Singapore, they have really limited success in raising the fertility rate. Mm -hmm. um, 
Shark, let me ask you um, about uh, the way forward here. Premier Lee Chang was suggesting at Davos that this growth rate of 5% or a bit better can be kept going this year without the need for, for massive stimulus. Um, and he says he doesn't want to take on big risks in the economy. Do you think that's right? Can, the, can this growth rate just continue um, without some form of stimulus? Uh, hopefully he will be right because there's a lot of uncertainties about this one. Uh, from my perspective, I think uh, they do need to address this uh, property market sector. I think this uh, problem become worse and worse. Uh, uh, now they are tickling with this one. Uh, I, I'm afraid that without big policy change or big policy stimulus, it's very difficult to fix this uh, property market problem. Because uh, if you look at... Uh, um, incomplete uh, project buildings in China. People said you need to put another five trillion <laughs> RMB to mm. finish all this incomplete one. So now people talk about this uh, fiscal stimulus. I think the best way to do this kind of uh, fiscal stim stimulus is to uh, for government to invest in this incomplete uh, uh, buildings so that uh, all these uh, home buyers uh, they can get their home uh, in time. So I think that's a good way to do it. Um, so for other sector, I think uh, for the industrial sector, for, for the service sector, I think it's okay. They can manage a decent growth rate if people, their sentiment can improve. But how can you make people believe this uh, uh, tomorrow will be, become better? I think the, the key is you need to fix the biggest problem. That's the property sector. Yeah, Francis, well, would you agree with that? Is the property sector the main drag? Is certainly, if you look at the data, that does seem to be yeah. still the biggest drag on the economy at the moment, doesn't it? But can can the economy keep growing at five percent without stimulus? Yeah, definitely. I think the the problem is that the, the the government does not seem to want to spend too much money on bailing out the the developers. Uh, you you. <laughs> You look look at the measures the government has taken so far. It's really building uh, building uh, subsidized housing or or redevelopment uh, of uh, old uh, old uh, uh, sectors uh, in the city. Uh, 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 city renewal instead of uh, bailing out the developers. I think uh, that is the. That, that really leaves the uh, private developers out in the cold. I think the government is is re willing to just let the private developers die along the wayside. I've, but uh, uh, that kind of approach will not do very much to help lift the economy. So the, the economy will stay in the doldrum because uh, Without a vibrant property sector, I don't think the Chinese economy can grow by six percent or more. I think it's it's a policy that cur the current government uh, is refusing to 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 undertake. I, I find it a bit odd that uh, the government's sort of saying, Premier Li Chang was saying that uh, this growth has come without taking big risks, without taking on stimulus. Although <laughs> if you look at debt to GDP, it's getting close now to to three hundred percent. It suggests that actually there has already been quite a lot of stimulus in some ways. 
Yeah, but 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 that that three hundred percent is only taking into account of uh, local government. But the central government is not borrowing that much. It's something like uh, under two trillion US dollars. So 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 they they rely on that figure instead of the local government. I think local government is something like one mil one hundred trillion mm. yuan in. Debt. And that is really a big hole, <laughs> and, uh, and unless you you use the uh, private citizens' uh, uh, deposit of two two hundred trillion to cover up the the deficit, I I don't think you you, you can ever cover that deficit. I mm-hmm. think uh, uh, the central government is not inclined to to cover the deficit for the local government because in doing so it just it, it would just encourage local government to be uh, uh spend spend free and spend more because they they believe the central government will cover up for them <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's the problem shark in just uh, just one minute is uh, is debt's going to become a problem or do you think as francis says that you know the central government's still got plenty of room to expand its balance sheet uh, I think uh, I agree with uh, Francis. Uh, the central government they have room to expand their balance sheet, but uh, uh, at local level, I do believe that some of the local government uh, their debt level is uh, um, unsustainable. So mm-hmm. I think that they are they already have a problem. If you see their debt grow at a very high rate, that means uh, they are they already out of control. They already they cannot meet their own demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, that's okay. uh, that's a big problem. The, the central government they need to uh, put aside some uh, space for their balance sheet expansion to pay out the local government, and at the same time they need to uh, devote the enough resource to pay out this uh, property sector. So a lot of things to do for the authorities, but it's good. Premier Li, Li Chang, he's uh, so confident he can complete this one easily. So <laughs> hopefully okay. he's right. Great. Well, thank you very much. You heard there Le Shah, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA, Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, It seems the big factor driving markets this week is investors seem to be reappraising now how aggressive um, the Fed is going to be in cutting rates uh, this year and scaling back um, expectations for when rate hikes will start. It looks like, I mean, previously they were talking about the spring. Do you get the feeling now that um, people are more looking towards the summer and are scaling back those expectations? Yeah, I think, uh, and I think the Fed have been quite clear through the the speeches made by various governors that uh, you know the market's got a little ahead of itself. Uh, most uh, interestingly was uh, Fed Governor Waller, uh, you know, talked about careful and methodical. Really poured a little bit of cold water, and then I think Bostic overnight sort of talked about September um, as uh, so. I think yeah, clearly they're dialing back the expectations for the market, and the market's now reacting to that. Um, bond yields have moved. Um, equities uh, had have had a sort of fairly flat start to the year. Overall, it's still fairly constructive, but uh, yeah, markets just having to pull back a little bit of its enthusiasm re- regarding a potential March high rate cut. 
And and this rethink is being actively encouraged by by the central bankers, isn't it? Both the US and um, and Europe as well. They, in fact, Christine Lagarde was saying she was worried that these market expectations of rate cuts from uh, in March are, are making the fight against uh, inflation more difficult. Um, there seems to be a whole um, cabal of central bankers being wheeled out to, to to try and get this message home. Yeah, and and I think it's reasonable because you know we've discussed this before. You know, inflation can get embedded in terms of expectation. We know inflation as a measure; it's really just a measure of expectation on prices. And if you you know if if it's not curtailed and aggressively uh, cut, then it can embed itself. And so what ends up happening is you could you could end up having inflation tracking at a higher rate than what the Fed and other central banks want. And at the same time, that leaves interest rates higher, which means the economy um, is dragged um, somewhat. And that's what they don't want. So, yes, they're trying to engineer a soft landing. Yes, they're open-eyed to the potential um, you know, aggressive uh, decline in economic activity, which we're not seeing at this point in time, but it's possible. Um, but at the same time, you know, they don't want to have people accepting that inflation can be in, in a three to four handle as opposed to a two to three handle. Mm. And, but it, despite that, the markets are still pricing in today a 56% chance of a quarter point uh, rate cut um, in March. They're still pricing in six cuts this year. That's basically one at every single meeting bar one going going forward from March. That still seems to be too aggressive, doesn't it? It does, considering during the week, the data-wise, you know, the labour market figures in terms of unemployment uh, applications was still pretty, you know, pretty positive. You had retail sales, which were better than expected in the US, Mm -hmm. plus 0.6, plus 0.4. Housing data overnight was fairly constructive. Um, One negative I saw um, in the data was um, the Philly Fed on manufacturing, quite soft. But uh, overall, you would argue that the the economic outlook is fairly constructive. And I use the word constructive versus positive. Um, constructive means that it's not running at 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 um, at high levels GDP, but it's certainly positive still. It's, it's incredible, this data, really, because it really does seem to show quite a buoyant labour market, doesn't it? And, and also consumer spending's holding up um, uh, as well. It's, uh, it seems that all the rate hikes that we've had so far um, haven't really cooled down the economy that much. I think that, well, the argument would be that inflation was more, uh, the high inflation we saw was a construction of COVID, post-COVID pandemic supply chain disruption predominantly. Um, and uh, you had a couple of factors that then, you know, that really drove that up. And then uh, the flip of that was consumers saved a lot of money during that period. So they had more savings to to throw through. Um, so once those, I guess those headline prices, the cost push prices came off, consumers still felt quite comfortable in certain terms of spending because they had deeper savings pools due to the pandemic. Um, some of that's probably taken longer to unwind than what the Fed expected, what we've expected. So the consumers held up quite well. Um, earnings, uh, the corporate earnings uh, in the US have held up pretty well with some obvious exceptions. So yeah, I guess it's a that Goldilocks um, you know, word has been used as sort of working. Mm. Um, I, I, I dare say it, it's probably as soon as you say it, it won't. But you know, right now, it's, it, it's tracking along as you would hope. I mean, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? If you look at the data, today's jobless claims data, yesterday's retail sales and industrial production, also the housing data, um, you, you could quite easily question whether we even need one rate cut this year, let alone uh, three or four or five. 
Yeah, I agree. And there's the irony of, of, of that particular discussion is if we're starting to talk about rate cuts in March, we're really talking about an economy that's ground to a halt mm. and that the Fed need to, you know, need to, to wind back in order to create some stimulus. And that just doesn't appear to be the, uh, you know, to be the case based on the data we're seeing. So, um, yeah, I think the market's got, got a, a little bit ahead of itself thinking that actually if they're going to accelerate rate cuts, it's because they're worried about the economy, which would not necessarily be positive for equities um, in the short run anyway. So um, I suspect a, you know, a September rate cut is probably um, the best result for, for the market. So Raphael Bostic, who was basically saying that today, that maybe the third quarter, um, which is bringing mm. forward his, um, you know, his, his projections, because he was thinking the final quarter is now saying the third quarter, he may well be right. Yeah. And I think that probably it would be best for the market from a point of view of valuation of equities um, and, and, you know, for, for lack of volatility through the bond market. So it would be a result. Now, of course, there's a long way to go to September and things, you know, we'll see plenty of ups and downs in, in amongst that. But, you know, there's nothing in the data that suggests that the economy is about to fall off a cliff mm. such that the Fed will be worried about um, creating some stimulus. So in terms of the impact on the markets, first of all, on the bond markets, it, this all makes you realise, doesn't it, just how far ahead of itself the market got last year when uh, the yield on the 10-year dropped uh, to 3.8% and, and sparked this huge rally um, in equities. We're back up at about 4.15% um, now, but seeing huge, huge volatility, aren't we, in the Treasury bond market um, at the moment? Mm. Do you think it's still priced about right or have we got more movements, more volatility to come? Well, I think it's still. I think it's still yet to find its its base right now. I think. Uh, I think there's still volatility in the bond market. I think overall volatility is still fairly low. It spiked a little bit. Well, we're five week highs off the low in bonds. Um, I suspect that um, there's still a bit of work to be done, and because I don't think we've yet to get complete clarity on the on the Fed view, we're getting comments coming from Fed governors. But I think until Powell provides a little bit of uh, clear guidance about where the Fed are. I think that's probably going to continue to see some volatility in the bond market. And in terms of equities, we saw this big rally in tech stocks today, the NASDAQ 100 uh, at a new all-time um, high. Tech, is that sort of viewed as a safe haven when rates are rising? Is that is that the dynamic that's that's playing out at the moment? Well, generally not. When rates are rising, you would think growth stocks would, would be impacted negatively in principle. I think the tailwind in tech is AI and, and, and structurally. And then overnight, of course, Apple really boosted um, because um, Bank of America upgraded um, earnings forecast on Apple. They were up 3%. So um, normally, growth stocks would be impacted negatively by a higher interest rate projection. Um, but uh, you know, there is a bit of a tailwind in that sector mm-hmm. um, on the basis that the AI continues to, to be an area where people are willing to take some risk. And we saw that in the Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing results, didn't we? They're projecting maybe next yeah. year um, an increase in, in revenues of sort of the low to mid 20% range driven by demand for AI. Yeah. I mean, TSMC seems to be one of those um, companies in, in all this talk about AI. Uh, TSMC and maybe NVIDIA as well are actually monetizing AI already um, and are actually making some quite good money from it. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, I think it's a tailwind for the sector to tailwind for the economy because, you know, continued development and, and uptake of AI particularly will create productivity, mm. which has been lacking in the labour market. 
um, and also will help uh, productivity to reduce uh, inflationary pressures. So it's a it's a positive story um, there. And I guess if if investors are looking for places to put risk on, it's probably there. And let me ask you finally, Australian equities, where do we stand with them? How, how have they been doing so far um, since the beginning of this year? They've had a tough start to the year. Commodity prices uh, impacting. Um, obviously, the, the general negative start for US stocks, albeit fairly flat now. Um, we had some interesting uh, figures on, on, on employment yesterday. Um, employment uh, fell 65K, but the unemployment rate was steady. Um, some expectation that maybe that would lead the RBA to pivot. Um, for those listeners out there, Australia's probably a bit further away from um, starting to pivot on rates because the consumer inflation expectations, as it posted yesterday, is still around 4.5%, mm. well above the 2 to 3% target for Australia. So equity markets are a bit underperforming right now relative on commodity prices um, and then in general line with US equities. Um, and then what we'll get is the next end of the month, 31st of January, the quarterly CPI number is probably the big number that people will be looking out for to see where the RBA um, might need to react to um, uh, its, its, in, its interest rate targeting. And I presume that, you know, on, on inflation, that the surprise maybe could be to the upside, because if you sort of look at some of the things that are going on in terms of trade disruptions, um, you know, in the Panama Canal because of climate change and in the Middle East, where everyone seems to be firing on each other at the moment, there, there's plenty of room, you would think, for some upside surprises. Well, I think that's right. And I think in general, maybe this is part of the, the language we're getting out of central banks is, you know, there are two, there are many factors that could drive inflation back up mm-hmm. that need to be monitored and, and kept aware. So uh, making sure that investors aren't getting too far ahead of themselves is, is prudent. Uh, and particularly for Australia, where I think probably we are further behind in the fight against inflation. So I suspect we won't see the RBA pivoting too quickly here. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Management and Christopher Lee, partner at Farron Augustine and Alexander Investments. Providing a view from mainland China will be Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.